Welcome to podcast number 21 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can also email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. In this podcast, we head to Canberra to speak to Dr. Peter Dowling about locations in Canberra and its links to World War II. And joining us on the line from Canberra is Dr. Peter Dowling, historical archaeologist. Peter, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, David. Now, Canberra in World War II, can you give us a bit of a feel what Canberra was like? Well, Canberra, yeah, uh, um, Canberra was nothing like then like it is today uh, back then the uh, Canberra was still a growing city it only had a population of about 13,000 in the early 1940s so when you compare that to other towns or, and, and cities around Australia now it's, uh, it was quite a small town and people saw it as a uh, as a small town but it did have uh, the the parliament in old parliament house and a lot of the uh, government uh, offices and uh, had had buildings here in Canberra and they were moving up from where they were originally in Melbourne so Canberra was a growing capital and then came uh, World War Two and everything all the buildings seemed uh, well it did stop in in most cases only things that were were uh, subject to Australia's war effort were were being constructed, but uh, the people still lived on, and um, uh, they went about their ways during the war. But things were quite different, uh, particularly particularly after 19 well in the early uh, year uh, months of 1942, uh, when there was the Japanese uh, advance down through the Pacific through. Hong Kong and then into Singapore and then into Malaysia and Burma. Um, people in in Australia and and particularly I think those in Canberra because it was the capital city were quite um, quite worried about the the fact that there you know that there may be a an attack on Canberra um, and. Uh, they had witnessed and, and, and heard about attacks in uh, along the north, a bombing of Darwin and the subsequent bombings along the northern coastlines, and of course the submarine attack in Sydney Harbour. So the people were certainly concerned about that. And um, uh, so Canberra sort of went into a sort of a, a war defensive type um, situation. And one of the um, some of the legislation that was quickly drafted to uh, to get the civilian population sort of thinking about protecting themselves was uh, was what was called the uh, Emergency Raids Precaution uh, Services Acts. Now these were were uh, uh, volunteer and selected uh, civilians uh, who went went under the name of ERP and it was like the ARP in other cities, the Air Raid Wardens mm. and uh, there were several acts by the by the Parliament to put in place uh, these people and um, 
they 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 had a lot of authority over the civilian population. You know, they were trained in first aid and casualty services. Uh, they were were trained in uh, uh, managing people, and uh, they they um, they carried a, a rather large badge, a big blue badge that had ERP on it. So that was their status of authority, and they uh, patrolled the uh, the streets of Canberra. Uh, particularly at night time, uh, making sure that there were no lights left on and the street lights were turned off and uh, they were armed with gas masks, that steel hat and a whistle and a rattle to make noises to round people up, to alert people. And they were in charge of any sort of um, uh, perceived threat. And uh, around Canberra there were several... Uh, uh, basis for them and uh, they um, there was also air raid sirens built around Canberra and there was there was one quite famous one in uh, in Ainsley as a matter of fact which is just uh, just north of the present uh, CBD uh, back in those days in 1940 Ainsley was was one of the outer northern suburbs of of Canberra so uh, um, and it was a residential suburb, so there was an air raid uh, siren there, and uh, the people were required about once a week to uh, go through some types of uh, air raid warnings and uh, evacuations, and um, uh, there was several false alarms that put uh, put the frightening on a lot of the uh, a lot of the people around Ainsley if, if the alarm accidentally went off or someone someone switched it on when it wasn't the uh, the time for the uh, particular air raid trial um, it put the panic up people and uh, uh, outside of um, what is now Parliament House and some of the government buildings in the Parliamentary Triangle and also in some of the suburbs uh, people were, were were digging uh, um, zigzag slit trenches, air raid protection trenches, and uh, you, you can just imagine today, uh, you know, when you see government officers practicing their evacuations, um, people uh, people streaming out of these buildings in the 1940s and getting down into these these slit trenches, and uh, a lot of them had uh, steel hats, of course, and uh, but it. Um, it was it was part of their way of life, and some of the people uh, were building uh, air raid shelters and slit trenches in their backyards in 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 suburbia. So it was a really perceived threat that the Japanese might be bombing Canberra. Um, but I must say here that um, Japanese attacks and the Japanese invasion of Australia in those days are two different things. The Japanese never had any intention of invading Australia, but they were certainly uh, interested in attacking uh, parts of the coast and the shipping going uh, up and down the coast of Australia. So um, even though the people of Canberra live far inland and really in retrospect there was no threat to them, there was this perceived threat that uh, 
Canberra may be under attack by you know, because it was the capital city. I mean, certainly my, my father grew up in Braddon and Ainsley uh, during the war, and Ainsley Primary, he does remember um, uh, trenches or air raid trenches and doing drills at school, for example. Yeah, yeah. The, you spoke about the um, about Canberra's parliamentary triangle. Now there was a small building located at the rear of uh, one of the parliamentary offices, West Block, that has a bit of a story to tell, and it was known as the bunker. Tell us the story about the bunker. Well, yes, um, West Block um, um, and its sister building, East Block, were built behind um, the original uh, Parliament House, and these buildings still stand today. And this was the sort of the real hub of government. You had the Parliament Parliament House, and then uh, East Block had uh, a lot of government departments and Department of Defence, and West Block also had the Prime Minister's Department and the Treasury and a few other uh, vital um, uh, government functions. So these these buildings were in close proximity to each other, and in West Block. Um, there was um, a small building um, right by the side of West Block. Now, in recent years, uh, this building has housed an electrical substation and was used by the public servants to uh, park their bicycles. And there's still people who can today who can remember parking, parking their bikes in this little building and then going into their offices in, in West Block. But this little building had a very, very vital function, and uh, it was um, it was part of the prime minister's department and part of what they call their cable section, and it was responsible. The people who worked in this little building they were responsible for encoding and decoding. Uh, high-level and very high-level messages between the Australian government and uh, and the British government. As a matter of fact, a lot of the, or most of the, the uh, classified up to top-secret eyes only uh, messages between Prime Minister Curtin and Prime Minister Churchill were encoded and decoded in this little building that uh, now stands next to uh, West Block. And in, in the 1940s, a, uh, a team of mainly young women um, in their 20s were, were working in there and they were selected from the public service and they usually entered the public service as stenographers and typists. And, uh, but those who showed exceptional um, uh, ability and uh, exceptional uh, intelligence were, uh, were posted into this um, uh, small group and uh, they had an enormous, an enormous responsibility uh, to um, to encode and decode by uh, by a machine that they had there called the Typex machine, which would um, translate or uh, the plain messages that the prime minister would write down uh, to be sent over to um, London, and they would then get this message, and they would have to read these communications and then would 
they would type them up through a various means on this Typex machine, which was pretty much based on the old German Enigma machine, which everybody uh, has an idea of. But this was a big, clunky machine. And um, they uh, they were responsible for doing that. Once they'd done that, the uh, the plain message written in English would be then transferred into five-letter groups, a series of five-letter groups. That was the code. And then that was then transmitted over to to London. And uh, it was quite often because in 1942, as, as Japan was taking uh, possession of Singapore and Hong Kong and then um, down into the uh, what is now Indonesia, uh, communications between London and Canberra had to be done by high-frequency radio uh, in most cases. So, so these five-letter groups had then had to be sent over to um, to Britain by Morse code, which could be intercepted by the Japanese. But the Japanese then would only get a whole series of five-letter groups in these messages. They then, if they could, and they and the situation looks like now that they could not. But they would have to decipher that uh, if they wanted to get any information out of it. So it was a pretty secure means of uh, of communications. And uh, whilst the British could uh, uh, were somewhat successful in in cracking some of the the German and Japanese codes from Bletchley Park. Uh, the uh, it, there's no indication really that the Japanese were able to uh, crack this code, this code of messages coming from the Typex machines, and so all this was done in this small little building which still stands today, and uh, the um, the government building now West Block has been has been sold by the Commonwealth government. Uh, it is heritage listed. And, but it has been sold by the uh, Commonwealth government, and uh, very soon the uh, the building will be converted into a um, a hotel. Mm. So the building's still going to stand, and this little building next to it, um, uh, the uh, uh, probably will will remain. I certainly hope it will remain, and uh, its uh, its history has been told. I've uh, I've I've written and uh, spoke about this building quite considerably over the past three or four years, and it seems like this building now is part of the heritage precinct of the area, and so it will be retained. And I hope its history yeah. is still retained there because it's such an important part of Australia's war effort. And and do you know if any of the communication equipment used by what we'll call the the cable girls does it is it does it exist today? Um. Not here in Australia. Um, the Typex machines that they used was uh, was built by the by the British, and it was based on 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 the uh, rotor systems used by the um, Enigma machine. Um, but the Brits had their own sort of version of this, and uh, this Typex machine that that was used in um, in the bunker at West Block. Um, 
was given to Australia by the uh, Brits so that we could communicate. After the war uh, had finished, um, a uh, uh, London sent a message out to uh, to all the um, government departments, well, to the Australian government that these Typex machines had to be destroyed. Mm. And so, unfortunately, um, because of the uh, still the security requirements uh, in place uh, even after the war, um, the Typex machine was literally uh, uh, dismantled and smashed and destroyed. And this happened in a lot of um, other uh, Australian government departments and defence establishments where they had these machines. Also in New Zealand, um, uh, they were required to destroy their machines. But some still survived over in Britain. And if anyone is interested, they can uh, have a look at the workings of this, of this machine on the World Wide Web now. There's uh, several websites um, showing these machines and how they work. So, you know, it's a big... Mm-hmm. You know, times do change. And, uh, you know, back in the 1940s and 50s and even in the 60s, these machines were still top secret. Uh, but today, with, uh, you know, with our digital communications now, these, uh, these machines now, the few that do exist... Um, uh, uh, available and uh, there, you know, and even if someone wanted one, you could probably purchase mm. one. Uh, but they're few and far between. Apart from the bunker, what other buildings or places exist today in Canberra with links to its wartime role? Um, well, I've been been thinking about this over the last few years. Um, um, with the development of Canberra. Uh, as it is now, it's you know it, it, there's a lot of development. Cameras growing very very quickly these days. There's there's not a lot of places here in Canberra that you can go and e- experience some of the uh, uh, or experience what what people did during the Second World War. But there are a few, and uh, one of the uh, one of the most tragic. Uh, events that happened here in Canberra was um, in uh, 1940. In August 1940, there there was a uh, disastrous air crash here in Canberra just uh, just before or around where the uh, current uh, airport is today. And ten people were killed in this uh, airplane crash. It was a uh, uh, an Air Force Lockheed Hudson bomber that had come up from Melbourne, but in this uh, aeroplane there were um, 20 people, and they were all killed as this plane came into land at uh, Fairburn Airport. It crashed just before in some of the rugged hills around the airport. And but in this aeroplane there was. Um, uh, several high members of the uh, Australian government. Uh, there was uh, Brigadier Street, Minister for the Army, uh, James Fairburn, whom the airport's named for after. He was the Minister for Air. Um, Sir Henry Gullett was uh, Vice President of the Executive Council. And uh, um, uh, Sir Bridnell White, uh, he was the Chief of General Staff 
he was in this aeroplane too, and they all lost their lives together. And it was a pretty much, it was a, it was a huge hit to uh, the Australian government, particularly in time of war. But there's a, there's a memorial there just outside of the, um, the airport off um, Pialago Avenue, and people can, I still think they can get up to the war, uh, to the to the mo- memorial. They can get up to there now, but the actual crash site is is uh, a little bit down into the valley, and it's very difficult to get to today. But there's a uh, memorial there commemorating that event, and um, even even around the same place, not not far away, is, is a group of old. Um, ammunition uh, bunkers and they were they were constructed during the war and uh, using them was, were was a um, an odd sort of uh, RAAF squadron made up of um, uh, Dutch pilots and uh, the Dutch Air Force who had evacuated out of uh, Indonesia and they had formed a squadron in uh, in Fairburn here in Canberra, uh, they were it was 18 squadron. It was formed in uh, 1942, and they flew uh, Mitchell light bombers, and they would fly out of Canberra and uh, to the coast. They would uh, refuel at the coast, and then they would do any submarine patrols up and down the coast. And there's a uh, memorial to them. At uh, at the Russell Officers Complex, uh, but one of the one of the other places uh, that is attached to uh, to the Second World War that people can get to uh, quite easy is the uh, is at Duntroon, and uh, they can uh, they can. Uh, Drive around Duntroon, and there, and, but particularly there's one one spot there that uh, I quite often visit. In actual fact, it's the um, the Changi Church Memorial or the Changi Chapel, which was brought down from um, from Changi in Singapore uh, uh, after the war. And uh, of course, Changi was one of the main prisoner of war uh, camps in Singapore for. The, uh, for the Australians, most of whom were captured at the fall of Singapore, so people can go and actually visit the uh, the Changi Chapel, and um, of course you can uh, uh, people can go and see this uh, the small bunker that we were talking about before, and um, but uh, there's not a lot really, which is. Uh, a sad indictment, I think, on on our history here in Canberra in association with the Second World War. Um, there's not a, a, any places where you can go and experience the Canberra experience. Of course, we've got the Australian War Memorial, which is, is such a fabulous place, which commemorates, never celebrates, but commemorates the... Uh, the uh, participation of Australia in uh, in all wars, in actual fact. So people can go and visit that, and then behind the war memorial is the Aboriginal uh, memorial. Um, but these are more sort of national memorials rather than those that uh, 
that associated with the Second World War. But there's also another one, uh, uh, which is uh, Calthorpe's House, which is in uh, one of the inner suburbs. It's in Red Hill. And uh, this house uh, was built in the 1920s, or maybe a little bit later than that, uh, maybe the 30s. And um, uh, But certainly during the war, it was occupied by the Calthorpe family. And they... Uh, uh, they decided to uh, dig a um, uh, air raid shelter in the backyard, and that still stands today. So people people can uh, visit that. It, uh, Calthorpe's house is now a house museum owned by the ACT government, and it's opened on uh, certain occasions. It's got a website, and uh, people can can visit there and see. Uh, one of the sort of backyard, privately built air raid uh, uh, shelters. And, uh, uh, but other than that, David, no, there's not a great deal. And uh, I, you know, I feel rather disappointed sometimes uh, uh, when I think about it that you know, Canberra did play a major part in uh, uh, the Second World War. And and a big part on the home front also, as did a lot of other towns and cities. We're probably no different from uh, what happened elsewhere in Australia, but uh, there doesn't seem to be a strong recognition of of these places and, uh, and how that period, particularly in the early 1940s, from uh, 1940 up to about 1945, how people's lives were were infected uh, by this overbearing, overpowering thought that they are still at war, mm. and that uh, their lives had 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 changed so much. Um, that is just in the memory of the people today. Uh, are there any web resources? There are centralised web resources for people to go to to find out more about Canberra in World War Two. Um, there is a um, there is a war memorial, a Canberra War Memorial, here in in, in the city, and it's um, it's it's in a little area just uh, at the beginning of uh, Ainsley Avenue, and it's just opposite Civic Square, so it's right in the centre of the city, and it's a beautiful little war memorial, but very few people know what it is, and which is another sad thing too. But um, they have uh, this uh, memorial has it's a Canberra War Memorial, not the Australian War Memorial. It's spe specifically for Canberra, and um, there is a website for that. And uh, I'm not sure what the actual address is, but you know, Google Canberra War Memorial, um, and you'll probably get the Australian War Memorial, but you will also get. An address for the website mm. and on that website is a list of all the people from Canberra who, uh, who served in both world wars particularly in the Second World War um, and um, but it's uh, you know as I said people drive past this memorial they walk past it they can walk through it in actual fact but very very few people know what it is and what it stands for and even on Anzac Day 
there's a big ceremony uh, outside the War Memorial and that's televised all around Australia even on Anzac Day I as a uh, as a uh, vet I served in the Navy for 20 years even I as a vet I've gone to this this War Memorial and stood there by myself on Anzac Day and no recognition mm. whatsoever uh, but um, and that's another sad indictment I think uh, the intention of this war memorial was was good it's a it's a beautiful little uh, uh, memorial it uh, it encapsulates a flame the, the flame of life and uh, but it it's just not recognized at all as a uh, war memorial but the website is there um, and there are a, a couple of other websites uh, but these are usually coming from the Australian War Memorial uh, there's one called the uh, or it's a section of the website it's called Canberra on the Home Front and uh, that's a brief little uh, encapsulation of what perhaps life was like on uh, on the Canberra Home Front but there's nothing substantial, I'm afraid. And also in preparation for this podcast, uh, you were the primary researcher and, uh, and and contributor to a National Trust document called A Tour of Canberra's Military Heritage. We'll make sure that's made available uh, for um, the Facebook page. Yes, look, look, I've had another good look at that in the last few days, and, and, and that was done, oh, gee, it was done about 10 or so years ago and sadly some of the places that that we put on that uh, are no longer accessible mm. to uh, to the general public you, know, you can't get to them because some of them are a couple of the places a couple of the buildings are uh, closed off and fenced off and abandoned uh, and um, it's uh, it's worthwhile having a look at this uh, National Trust uh, brochure but um, uh, it's sadly out of date and needs to be updated and 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 refined quite quite some because it's quite dated, and this is also uh, a, a problem of Canberra and its association with with World War Two and the fact that there's little recognition of it is because when we did it, this was done about ten twelve years ago, and since then we've lost a lot of these uh, all places and we've lost accessibility to uh, to some of the places on that list so uh, yeah but it's worthwhile having a look at that to see to see even just to see that there are or there were places uh, intimately associated with World War Two here in Canberra. Peter a fascinating insight into Canberra and its World War Two role thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure David. That's the podcast for today. You can find the relevant links to this podcast on our Facebook page. And we're keen to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our Facebook page, and if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave a review. Finally, if you're interested in sponsorship or support of this podcast, head to our website or email us. You can also support us via Patreon. The link is www.patreon.com. Thanks for your service. The version of The Last Post is courtesy of Rachel Bostock. You can find links to her music on our website and Facebook page. Thanks for listening. <laughs>